Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning again. For those that uh, weren't here earlier, I'm Bruce Strugsma, and I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, we are celebrating Palm Sunday this morning, and I'm glad you are here with us. Um, for us in the, in, in the Christian world, Palm Sunday leads into Holy Week. I would encourage you this week to push in in some way, shape, or form as we head from Palm Sunday to Easter. We're moving, we're moving through the church calendar, and, and so this is a week that as Jesus enters Jerusalem today, all throughout the week, there's next steps. And so for us, you know, one of the ways you can engage is to come back Wednesday night for our Wednesday night programming, uh, to come back Friday night for our Good Friday service, and, and for sure to come back next Sunday for Easter as we celebrate this week. This is a big week. And so through Holy Week, through Palm Sunday and Easter and the week following, uh, we've titled the series Follow Through. And I know this week, especially um, with all of the snow, it's hard to think summer is coming. Um, but it is, it is coming. And, and with summer and spring coming, eventually, um, you know, our thoughts turn to those summer activities. And for some in this room, I'm not one of them necessarily, maybe your thoughts turn to golf. And your thoughts turn to the golf course. Some of you I know have fled over spring break or other winter opportunities to warmer places where you've brought your golf clubs. But as, as, as we think about summer and we think about these, these seasons coming, uh, I remember that as much as I'm not a big golf person, uh, I did take golf as a, as, a, as a gym course or something, or my parents signed me up for golf coaching in like middle school. Um, clearly they didn't get their money's worth, but I, the one thing I learned from that was the importance of follow through. Right? I mean, I mean, all throughout learning golf, I got conflicting advice. I remember I would go golfing with, with uh, like my family members, my uncles, you know, and it was like one person would watch me swing and they'd be like, you know, you got to keep your eye on the ball. And the next person would come and go, your feet are too far apart. So I'd move them a little closer. And the next time they're like, your feet are too close together. You need to get them farther apart. You know, bend your knees, but not too much. You know, hold your hand this way. And it seemed to be conflicting advice. But the one piece of consistent advice I seemed to get was follow through. You can't swing the golf club and stop. You have to carry it through. And it's not just in golf. We do the same thing, whether it's, it's tennis with a tennis racket or uh, uh, football with throwing a football. You don't stop your arm when you release. You follow through. Um, Pheasant hunting, apparently somebody watched me try and shoot a pheasant this past year and they're like, you know, when you shoot, you can't stop the gun. You got to continue on. It's an important, and I don't know what role sometimes that follow through, you know, how that helps, but it's important and it's something we hear again and again. And as we go through Easter, we're going to be talking about that same concept in our spiritual life, because I think we do the same thing spiritually that I want to do when I'm, when I'm pheasant hunting. I wanna stop at the moment of impact. I wanna stop there. And so we have these, these pivotal life experiences. Maybe it's getting your driver's license. I'm done learning. I have my license. I'm a certified good driver. I never have to practice or worry about it again. Maybe, maybe it's a graduation from high school. There, I've obtained the knowledge. I'm done. 
And, and, and we know that that's not true. We know there's, there's follow through to that. And it's the same with Jesus and with our faith that I think we have these, these pivotal moments where we you know, come to know the Lord or we experience a moment or, or, or something takes us a little deeper in our faith and we go, ah, oh, I'm done. And in reality, it's, it's just the beginning. And I can picture the disciples as they're walking with Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday thinking, this is it. This is the moment. And, and shortly after it will be done and, and we'll, we'll have arrived and we'll be in that spot. And I think, you know, if they'd have known what was coming, if they'd have known where this course was gonna take them, they maybe would have chosen a different way to do it. But this was the way God had them go. So as we talk about Easter follow through, take it home with you. Move beyond just doing it on Sunday morning. Move beyond Palm Sunday. Move beyond Good Friday. Move beyond Easter. Take it home. Let it impact you. Because it can't just stay here. Jesus was focused on the follow-through. And oftentimes I think we see what we want to see. So I have a picture I want you to look at. And I want you to tell me uh, if you can avoid, or if you can continue looking at it. If you see, boy, that is really trippy. Um, on the big screen. What color are the circles? Specifically related to each other. What color are the circles? Because I think we see what we want to see. Maybe it'll help if we move the colored lines behind the circles. Did it change? Now, the question is, did I change the color of the circles? Or did, but let's put them back one more time. They are the same color. The circles are exactly the same color. Even though you know that now cognitively, and trust me, they are the same color. I can show you sometime if you want. The bands in front of them trick your mind. They get you to see what your brain wants to see. Your brain wants them to be different colors. We see what we want to see sometimes, even if we know that what we're looking at is is, is true, we still sometimes will see something different. Our brain tells us, no, that's not, that's not correct. We see what we want to see. And sometimes even if we know it, we still have a hard time seeing it. So this morning, we're gonna look at the story of Palm Sunday from the Gospel of John. And I would encourage you, if you have our Bibles, to open up to the Gospel of John. We'll be in John chapter 12. Um, but I'm gonna actually back up. I think we, we take Easter and we take Palm Sunday and we set them off by themselves, right? We think that they happen kind of in a vacuum. We have all of the gospels and then we get to Palm Sunday and then we get to Easter and they're like these separate events and then we move on. And we're gonna, we're gonna back up. I'm gonna go before Palm Sunday um, and actually start with the Saturday before Palm Sunday and, and, and then I'm gonna actually back up a little more to put some context around what was going on. And as we dig into Palm Sunday, we're gonna get some context. So we're gonna start with Saturday night because Palm Sunday as our start to Holy Week is more than just one day. And the first thing I want us to see is a sign. There's a sign in the story. There's a sign that some people are gonna see for one thing and some people are gonna see for another. And some people are gonna choose to see what they want to see even though they know it's something different. And so we're gonna look at how these different people see this sign. And so chapter 11 of John, prior to this, we're gonna pick it up in 12, but chapter 11, remember, is the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus shows up and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's literally days before he enters Jerusalem. They're really close. And again, I think we sometimes forget that. 
So don't miss that as we read. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 12, the first three verses. Six days after the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the, fir- of the perfume. Now the first sign was performed by Mary. And notice what has happened. And, and Mary, again, is in the room with Jesus. And this is similar to what had happened earlier when Jesus had been there before Lazarus had died, that, that Mary comes and sits at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is working in the kitchen, and Martha comes out upset. You know, why is Mary in here and not helping? And Jesus says she's chosen the better. And, and we see the same thing going on again, that Mary is once again in the room with Jesus. And, and Lazarus is there reclining at the table, and the disciples, and I don't mean this as a knock on people who work in kitchens. We need people who work in kitchens. We love the people that serve in the kitchen. The point is that as we get busy, sometimes it's harder for us to see what is right in front of us. And whether that's busy in a kitchen or busy at work or busy with sports schedules or busy with activities, we can get so busy that we have to be intentional to see things. And Mary is intentional here. Mary realizes what is happening when others miss. Again, Jesus recently raised her brother from the dead, and Mary seeing Jesus walking toward Jerusalem, to a city divided, to a city that is in contention. I mean, when, when the disciples follow Jesus toward Jerusalem, they kind of go, well, we might as well go and die with him, one of the gospel writers tells us. They know they're walking into an unsafe, unsavory situation. And Mary takes the opportunity to worship. And I love how one commentator put it. In a sense, Mary was showing her devotion to Jesus before it was too late. She was giving the roses while he was still alive and not bringing them to the funeral. Mary sees what is happening. She sees this sign. And she gives this sign of this, of this perfume, this pure nard. So what is our lesson today? Our lesson is, what is that pure nard that you're holding on to? What is that thing that is giving you a sense of security? Because this perfume was very, very expensive. And they would put this perfume in a jar that was permanently sealed. It wasn't like we get perfume today. Like we get these perfumes and these really expensive things and, and they create them, the, the containers, in such a way that you can take a little bit out at a time and reclose it. That's not how they did it then. You would buy this almost as a retirement investment. You would buy this in a sealed container that once broken open, you had to use or it would evaporate, dissipate, disappear. So for her to break this open is a, is a huge commitment. And so my question for us is where, where are we missing that sign? Where is the spot where Jesus is saying, look, you're holding on to this thing as a sense of security. This is your bottle of pure nard and you need to break it open. You need to, you need to willingly give it all to me. You need to break that jar open and let the aroma come out. And this isn't just about money. This is about time, popularity, power, position. Where are we not willing to break open the bottle of perfume and give it to our Savior? Because in giving it to him, we lose our sense of security. Now I have to trust in that Savior instead of my job, my pocketbook, my popularity, my position. Our first thing we see here is this sign. Palm Sunday started that Saturday evening as they reclined around the table. 
And Mary, in an act of worship, sees that moment. The second thing we'll see is a desire. This is again on Saturday, same room. Judas and the Pharisees and even the disciples are gonna miss what Mary does. They're gonna miss what Mary and Jesus do in this moment because of a desire, a desire that they had for Jesus to fit the mold of what they expected a savior to be. Judas and the Pharisees are focused on popularity and, the counterpart, and they're the counterpart response to Mary. Judas sees the money being wasted. And the, and the gospel tells us that it's more than just seeing the money being wasted. He sees the power and authority he would have had over that money if it had been sold to the poor. His motivation is not, hey, let's sell that and give it to the poor. His motivation is, hey, I want to look really good here by claiming I want to sell it and give it to the poor. But really, I'm, I'm the keeper of the money and I'll be able to slide a little bit of that into my own pocket. We see the Pharisees, they're gonna watch Jesus as he marches towards Jerusalem and they're gonna be jealous of the power, the position, the popularity that Jesus carries with him. And so do the disciples. So it's not an issue of belief or disbelief in who Jesus is. The disciples miss it too. And and we're gonna pick it up in verse four. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So where is our desire of who we think Jesus should be or what we think we should hold on to getting in the way of seeing Jesus at work? Where is our desire clouding our perception of what Jesus is up to? And Jesus can become more of a reflection of who we are or who we want him to be in our mind rather than him being the reflecting glass that we use to compare ourselves to him with. We look, at, we look at what we want Jesus to be and we want Jesus to support our beliefs and our opinions and our views. And we look through scripture for opportunities to point to him and say, see, here's where he agreed with me. Instead of looking at the whole story of Jesus, instead of using Jesus as the reflecting glass that we look at ourselves and say, where are the spots where I do not reflect well, Jesus? How do we see Jesus for who he truly is? One way to do that is to get Get in his word. Get in his word and get in all of it. Don't just read the parts that you know and like. Spend time with our savior. Again, not looking for how he reflects us or our views, but how we can better reflect who he truly was. And when we'll never fully be able to remove ourselves from the equation, our desires, our wants, our needs constantly are gonna get in the way. And so we need to constantly be looking at scripture and saying, where do I not adequately reflect Jesus? Where is my desire for a Jesus that looks like me getting in the way of me reflecting a Jesus to the world. Where are we seeing Jesus and instead of walking with him, we are seeking to benefit or hold on to our position or power or authority. So often we focus on right theology, not, not in an effort to worship better or to follow Jesus better, but in a way to prove that we are the most like him. Our next opportunity to see Jesus in our story is maybe the most obvious one that we're expecting here. A cheer, Hosanna, which is a prophecy. 
And Bethany did a great job already in some ways of unpacking this that I don't need to go into a whole lot of detail here because this is our story this morning. The word Hosanna literally means save. And this is a bold chant from a crowd that is politically oppressed. Right? This is a bold chant for people to be crowding around Jesus yelling, save, save, save. The Roman authorities and the political powers that be would have been threatened. John 12, starting in verse 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they, heard, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. And so there's a lot going on here, and Bethany summarized it, but I'm going to summarize it a little more as well. Zechariah 9.9, which, which she read, but I'm going to read again. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. To enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey was not an uncommon occurrence. People rode donkeys all the time. So what made this moment different? What made the people gather around and shout Hosanna? They'd had this glimpse of who Jesus was and they still were looking at him to be who they wanted him to be. They wanted this Jesus to come in and overthrow the powers that be. They wanted this Jesus to come in. And, and so even though he's riding humbly on a donkey, which in some ways they expected it wasn't a war horse, Jesus comes in on a donkey. And they still want this political overthrow. And even though Jesus is trying very hard through the prophecy, through his word, to point out the kind of king he was going to be, they still thought that he was going to be the kind of king they wanted him to be. They were still looking for a king to physically overthrow Rome. And Jesus rides in on a donkey. Because he is going for the root of the issue. The root of the issue in Jerusalem was not the political power. The root of the issue in Jerusalem was the sin that needed to be paid for with his death on the cross. It makes me think of um, Douglas MacArthur. And I'm, I'm kind of a fan of World War II fiction books right now. Um, and I've been reading a lot. And they talk about one of the things Douglas MacArthur did when he was taking back the Philippines. Is he was famous for saying, hit them where they ain't. Right? Instead of attacking their strongholds, we have this whole island. Let's land somewhere else and go around them. There were spots where they completely ignored bases and just said, we don't need that base. We'll ignore it, move on, keep moving to the next thing. Hit them where they ain't. And there's a little bit of that that we see here that Jesus is going, look, I'm, I could go and take on this stronghold of political power, but that's not really what I'm about. I don't need to overtake that. I need to address the heart. I need to go right for the sin issue. And so Jesus marches into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey in humility, heading exclusively towards the cross. He's bypassing all the places that they want him to go. But they are still missing the real event happening right in front of them. For us, the temptation is the same. We want Jesus to solve our problems the way we want him to solve our problems. We come to Jesus in these moments of pain and hurt or desire, and we want him to solve it our way. 
And oftentimes I've experienced that God tends to go for the root of the issue. And that root is usually in my sin and my attitude and my behavior. And God, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want you to go there. I wanted you to attack the stronghold I want you to take, not the one you want to take. So is our cry of Hosanna as loud when Christ moves into areas that we didn't want him to go? You know, Hosanna, yes, Jesus, come into my life and, and, and solve my medical problems and solve my you know, relational problems and solve my whatever, but don't address that sin issue that I haven't given over to you. I'm, I don't want to call Hosanna then. I don't want to yell save and, and, and lay down palm branches. Where are the things that we need to lay down before our king who's coming in on a donkey and say, you know what, where you want to go, that's where we'll go because you are the king and you are driving for the root issue. Where do we, like the Pharisees, change our cries from Hosanna to anger when Jesus calls us to set down our power and position and acknowledge him as king? Where do we need to acknowledge that Christ is king in every area of our lives this week? Where do you need a Palm Sunday in your own life today? Our next opportunity to see Christ in Palm Sunday comes in the form of a parable. To drive this point even further home, let's follow Jesus beyond the parade. Because like Palm Sunday didn't really start when he entered Jerusalem, it started before that. It doesn't end when he gets off the donkey. Palm Sunday continues on. We see him continue to seek and to save the lost. Verse 20. Now there are some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. My soul, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Now these Greeks who are coming into Jerusalem came as followers of Yahweh God. They came to Jerusalem for Passover to celebrate Passover. Back then, the assumption was if you were a follower of God and you lived outside of of Israel and Jerusalem, sometime you would go there for Passover. They had shown up intentionally to experience God in a new way, and they were not disappointed. Can you imagine showing up at Jerusalem, assuming you're going there for the Passover, and lo and behold, you're there and you see Jesus. You see the ultimate sacrificial lamb. You see the ultimate embodiment of what Passover was for. This is what they walk into. And note Jesus' intention, all of this is to glorify God. God's glory is the focus. And he tells this story of this parable that that a kernel of wheat, you know, if you take a kernel of wheat and you leave it on your countertop, it stays a kernel of wheat. You have to put it in the ground. It has to sacrifice to become more wheat. And Jesus is pointing to himself. And I think it's significant that he's saying this to the disciples in front of the Greeks. He's saying the gospel was never meant to just stay here in Jerusalem. You need to give up your own preconceived notions of what it was supposed to look like and let it move forward because it's not about what we want the gospel to be. It's not about how we want God to move forward. It's about his glory, not our own. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 shows us this way. 
Paul challenges us. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I mean, look at all of the alls in there. We become all things to all people so that by all possible means, we might save some. So where is God calling me to set aside and, and lay down my personal preferences, my desires, the things I want, the way I want it to move forward, to live sacrificially? Consider this week at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, where do you need to become all things to all people? Where do you need to engage in conversation with somebody that you're uncomfortable with because it needs to happen for his glory, not your own? How do we become all things to all people so that by all possible means we may see some come to know Christ? And finally this morning, hear a voice because there was a missed opportunity. Jesus ends his parable with a call for God to be glorified and we end this morning with the same call. Father, glorify your name, verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I think it's interesting, the three responses. The first response is dismissiveness. There's thunder. Where are the spots where we are dismissing the voice of God because it's just too easy to ascribe it to something else? It's coincidence. It's, 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 it's not really God speaking in my life. I've, I feel this prompting, I feel this moving, but I don't wanna do it, it makes me uncomfortable, so I'm just gonna dismiss it. I'm gonna set it off to the side. Ignorance is bliss. We can ignore God at work and then we can move on. And we can come here to church and we can sing Hosanna and we can say, but I really don't want this in my life. But some think it's only an angel. Sometimes it's, it's easier, instead of dismissing it entirely, to downplay it. You know, it might be a God thing, but I'm just not sure. Maybe it was just an angel. It's a way to devalue. Those weren't really God's words. And we see politicians publicly do this all the time with their own words. What I really meant was... You, you misunderstood. You see, when I said I don't like those people, what I meant is, what? That you don't like those people. I can often ignore easier uh, if I just explain it away. It really isn't binding. Look back at those circles we looked at this morning. We can know that the circles are the same color cognitively, but we still want to see the different colors. And so we can sit there and sometimes it's easier to go, you know, maybe Bruce lied. Maybe they really were different colors because I don't want to evaluate my preconceived notions. Or we can acknowledge the voice of God. Where are the spots where God is speaking and we are trying to ignore it or devalue it and we need to bow down and acknowledge that he is God. And that when he moves, it is our job to respond. So do not ignore the call of God this holy week. And do not let Palm Sunday triumphal entry be the extent of God's work in your life. Push in. Follow through. Don't leave it at the point of impact. Move beyond Palm Sunday and step into Holy Week. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for how you're at, at work. And God, I thank you for how you move. Lord, help us to move beyond the point of impact, God, where we have these encounters with you Lord, help us to take them beyond here. 
And so God, as we look at our lives, as we look at this week, God, there are spots where I need your triumphal entry into my life. Lord, I don't want it to just sit there. God, I want to go deeper. I want you to take me to the spots you want me to go, not the spots I want to go. God, I want you to work in the way you want to work so that you are glorified. So Lord, help me to hear your voice this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to end this morning with a benediction from the book of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.